expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening, I'm Gavin Phipps and welcome to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week. Today I'm joined on the phone by ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith. Good evening, Donovan. And good evening, Gavin. And in the studio once again with Ross Feingold of the Washington-based DC International Advisory. Good evening, Ross. Good evening. Today we'll be discussing President Ma Ying-jeou bemoaning his failure to meet with his China counterpart, a former China democracy activist hitting the campaign trail in Taichung, and the island's high-speed rail network entering what many hope will be a money-making new era. But we're going to begin with the ongoing protests surrounding the government's decision to change high school curriculum guidelines. So a student leader's suicide yesterday sparked another protest out of the Ministry of Education overnight. And while Education Minister U Sehua has offered talks with the students, do you see these protests continuing until U is forced from office as the students are demanding? Ross? Uh, uh, that's probably going to uh, be one aspect that's going to uh, be part of this discussion for in the coming days. Uh, unfortunately, we do have a pattern of public demand for a minister or other responsible government officials to resign anytime something goes wrong. The problem here is that Minister Wu doesn't necessarily see that he's done something wrong, nor does his immediate boss, the premier, or the premier's boss, the president. So uh, the the government leadership w- was in agreement on this curriculum change. Uh, and they're certainly reluctant to respond to disagreements over curriculum by resigning. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if we look at it from Minister Wu's perspective, he could take the view, uh, geez, you know, there, there's nothing to be gained by sticking around other than the public disliking me even more, especially given that this government has less than a year left and, and he'll, he'll be replaced anyway, regardless of who wins the presidential election. Right, of course, the government has said that, I mean, local, local governments and local schools are allowed to teach either version of the curriculum, Donovan. So, I mean, Tai Jong with the DPP government, what's the feeling down there? Well, the DPP government actually here in, in Taichung was actually the first, the education uh, minister for the local government here was the first to meet with uh, student representatives that are touring the island. Uh, and uh, there was actually a principal down here, I believe, who actually kneeled uh, in front of the students. So Taichung is, is very supportive of the, uh, of the protesters. Right. Let's look at a different aspect of this situation from a different angle. I mean, obviously, the student protesters have occupied the Ministry of Education twice now, illegally once, and today, Thursday and Friday, they're outside the ministry, having climbed over the gates earlier this morning. I mean, do do either of you see the occupation of government buildings setting a dangerous precedent? I mean, could it possibly all end in tears, so to speak, if some other group takes similar action, but it takes the, the action one step further? than any government is actually ready to accept. Well, uh, ask any government official of, of any level, especially the, the what we'll call the frontline people who actually deal with uh, members of the public who come to government offices for services. Uh, they're f- afraid, they're, they're in fear that whatever the issue, that, that masses of, of people will just come invade their office in a, in a violent way. It's, it's not a productive way for the government to operate if, if they have to have this fear of the masses of public. Uh, Taiwan is, is, as we all know, it's a vibrant democracy and, and people 
fortunately have freedom of speech and can ex- express their views, but invading government offices is, is not reflective of a country with strong rule of law or democratic principles. Hopefully this is just a phase, and but it won't become a long-term trend. And again, it, it's regardless of which political party is in power. I, I don't think we would want to see members of, of uh, the DPP, if they lead the government, have to fear that their offices will be invaded by people who don't like their policies either. So uh, hopefully this will not become a trend. And obviously the, when these protests are going on, government offices are surrounded by barbed wire fences. I mean, barbed wire fences surrounding government offices in a democracy, Donovan. I mean, how do you, how do you make that one out? Well, uh, frankly, uh, I'll tell you what, what, the whole sort of boiled this particular uh, this particular issue down. I mean, right now the focus is on the student who is uh, a, who has reportedly committed suicide over the issue. Now, he may or may not have. I mean, apparently he's uh, he was talking about he was not going to live past his twentieth birthday, and this is going all the way back to June. Now, this, but I think what, what's fundamentally striking and and frankly a little bit shocking about this particular issue is that you have students putting themselves at, 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 at physical and personal risk in a massive way, whether or not this guy committed suicide over the issue or not. They're putting themselves at risk from, you know, policemen's batons, they're uh, occupying offices over a history curriculum. And this is this is this is extremely remarkable. They're they're occupying government offices over the over what their textbook textbooks are going to teach them, and that is it's 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 dramatic in the sense that it's hard to get normally students around the world to get get their noses out of video games and you know and trying to you know find dates. It's it, this is it, it, what's what's so remarkable is that that they're they're. They're deeply passionate over over what it should be something that is open open to a sorry, a public debate where you know parents are involved, history teachers are involved, and they come up to kind of a consensus, and then students complain about it. That, that that's the normal pattern. But what's happening here is that the the government actually went out and specifically picked a series of ideologues, a, a small group of them, and dictated it. To to the public without without consulting the the broader consensus of what the public actually believes the history is, uh, the students are putting themselves in a in physical danger on a repeated basis because they are so passionate about this issue being something that the general public can actually weigh in on. They're trying to make it so that the history books are reflective of what the general public views as the history of Taiwan. And so whether or not this particular student's individual suicide case is, is, is actually related or not to, to this, this particular issue, which it may or may not have, the fact is that already students have been putting themselves out there at physical risk and at legal and emotional risk because of the way that they've been protesting, the way that the government's been threatening them over this issue in a, in a very dramatic way. What I find curious about the the ongoing situation is that uh, there's such a passion, apparently, which is good, uh, for studying these issues and studying it in a more uh, Taiwan-focused way rather than a mainland Chinese-focused way. But, but Taiwan has such a strong culture of after-school activities, whether it's uh, – 
music or sports or additional courses, what or, or what we call cram schools, bushi bonds. Uh, why why don't people establish cram schools or bushi bond kind of environment to study these issues as well and and send a message to the public system that well, we think your curriculum is lousy. So uh, as parents, as students, we're we're going to do our own enrichment a few hours a week in in Taiwan culture history. Uh, in, until the public curriculum is changed back. And of course, we'll be watching these protests in the coming weeks, and we can only hope that cool heads prevail and violence doesn't break out. Moving on, and President Maing Zhou this week told the BBC that he was disappointed he had failed to meet China's Xi Jinping so far. And do you think Ma's regret over not having met with his counterpart in Beijing is warranted? Or do you think such a meeting was never really a reality? Well, uh, it's certainly something that President Ma had hoped to achieve uh, in his second term, which is now coming to a close. There were signals that it was going to happen at APEC meetings, possibly, especially the one that was in Beijing. Didn't happen. Uh, the collapse of the services agreement after protests last year uh, cooled somewhat Taiwan-China uh, relations, and now we're looking at an election where it's possible the KMT might lose. So we have a number of factors that intervene to to really stop the possibility of this meeting towards the, the end of President Ma's term. So it could have happened, but with these intervening events having occurred in the last couple of years, uh, it really stopped the possibility. But you know, President Ma, given Taiwan's diplomatic situation, is used to not being able to travel that often or to meet uh, political leaders in an official capacity from other countries. Uh, it's too bad that they can't at least have a video conference or a phone call, you know, some kind of intermediate step, uh, which, of course, would require a lot of pre-discussion on both sides. But uh, let's keep talking. I, regardless of who wins next year's election here in Taiwan, you know, dialogue is always good. It, it would certainly be beneficial if we could at least have a pattern of Taiwan's leader speaking to China's leader uh, and if they could still achieve that, even if it's just by video or telephone in the, in the next few months, that I would still say it's productive. Right. Donovan, do you see Ma traveling to China after he sort of his tenure as president finishes? <laughs> yeah, I, I see that as quite likely. I mean, do you think he'll talk to people there like the president or it will just be low level government officials? That's actually a good question. I have a, no, no good way of answering that. I mean, the, th- the thing is that I think Ma right now feels betrayed because he... Within within the context of Taiwan's public opinion, he put himself out there on behalf of China in in a lot of people's eyes, and China basically didn't reward him in I believe in his eyes. And Ross is absolutely correct. Why couldn't they have a you know a video conference or something like that? But you know the the fundamental thing is I think Xi Jinping really wants to he wants to own the agenda he wants to control the agenda, and I think he's kind of losing control of the uh, of the game in Taiwan. Right, and we have to take a short break now for some rather important commercials. But we'll be right back with former China democracy activist Wu Kai Shi seeking a seat in the island's legislature and the latest on the island's cash-strapped high-speed rail network. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week here on ICRT. And let's jump right back in with former student leader of China's Tiananmen democracy movement, Hua Kai-shi, running for a seat in Taiwan's legislature. Here's how he explained his decision to run for office earlier this week. I am a Chinese democracy activist 
in exile. I'm also a Taiwanese citizen, and then I'm running for the parliament now because I believe democracy is a concept that beyond borders. When I was a young student, and then I uh, took the job, became a democracy activist, and I have been calling myself ever since. And then I believe taking part in the Taiwan's uh, process of deepening its democracy is doing my job. I believe becoming a member of the parliament helps me to do that job. I believe getting elected as a member of the parliament here in Taiwan sends China a very strong message that the people here share a very different set of values from Beijing regime. So, Donovan, you live in the constituency where Wakaishi is running in. I mean, do you see voters there agreeing with him? Or do you think he's still considered an outsider vis-à-vis his holding office here in Taiwan? I think he's both an outsider, but I think he's also partly in tune with what the, what the people here want. Uh, he and the DPP candidate have a gentleman's agreement uh, to uh, specifically to oust the local KMT candidate, who is Tai Jinlong. Uh, who has been very, very vocal in his support of uh, Hong Xiuzhu uh, when she came out as presidential candidate, very much in contrast to Ji Guodong, who is another local uh, uh, KMT, uh, KMT legislator who was recently ousted by the party. Now, Wu Kaishi and uh, uh, Zhang Liao Wanjian, the DPP candidate, have the, their gentleman's agreement is that in an opinion poll, I believe in mid-September, Whichever shows whichever one is leading against the KMT candidate will step aside and uh, take take the KMT candidate on. They, they, they really want to out, oust this guy who's considered a very deep blue. Right, Ross. I mean, Wakaishi talks a lot about his being a democracy activist. I mean, do you think your regular Joe Blow voter anywhere in Taiwan actually gives two ticks about a democracy activist? As the saying goes, all politics is local. And as we heard from the clip, he talked mostly about uh, elect me because it'll be good for Taiwan's democracy to put me in Taiwan's parliament, the legislative UN. Uh, In a way, it's almost patronizing because Taiwan has had direct elections for the legislative UN for uh, close to 30 years already Uh, and and direct elections for president and direct elections for local government leaders as well. Democracy isn't perfect in Taiwan, but it's pretty deep already, the, the roots and, and, and the system. And, and we, we see that with some of the other issues we've been discussing on this program. So he needs to offer voters something more than just saying, voting for me shows Taiwan's a democracy. Uh, I, I hope he has something more to say and, and specifically things that are important to voters, whether it's transportation issues or, or financial issues, tax issues, social spending, etc. There's certainly plenty of things on the agenda that a, a legislative candidate needs to discuss rather than simply saying, vote for me because uh, I was a student protester and uh, I know something about democracy. Right, of course, Donovan, he's not actually running for the DPP, but he's on a pan-green ticket. No, well, he's not technically on a, on a pan-green ticket. He's running as, as an independent, but he's uh, widely viewed as pan-green allied. Um, and then what Ross says is correct. I mean, the local local citizens here, are, I think they're, they, the, his challenge is to re- resonate with voters locally. I mean, the DPP candidate, Zhang Liaowanjian, it comes from a, a family that's a deeply embedded uh, in the local political structure. His whole family is basically, they're, they're all very deeply political. So he, for him, 
to get into the local networks is going to be a, is going to be something of a challenge. But right now we're living in very interesting political times, so it'd be very it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Right, and we'll find out next January, I guess, won't we? And we'll wrap up this week's show with some good news about a financial reform program which is aimed at saving the high-speed rail corporation from bankruptcy. And the agreement sees the termination of the original build-operate-transfer contract and the government taking over as the company's majority shareholder. However, the high-speed rail corporation will continue to be privately managed, but will that be enough to save it from financial ruin, Ross? Well, uh, a... a I'm glad, and, and the public should be glad, that there's a pathway forward for the finances and operation of, of the high-speed rail. We could all agree that the, the system generally works and works very well. Uh, sometimes there's delays, but that's inevitable. But uh, there's hasn't been any very serious safety lapses, fortunately. Uh, it gets you from Taipei to Kaohsiung in, in extraordinarily fast uh, uh, travel and, and comfort. Uh, so the system's great. There's going to be four new stations opening along the line in, in the next year, which is also great. Uh, so it's there and that's good. The, the bad part here is what does it say about BOT models in Taiwan? This is not the only project that's run into problems that, that was initially uh, uh, intended to operate on a BOT. So there's now developing a, a pattern of these projects running into failures, whether it's financial regulatory problems, uh, political problems, that's not a positive at all. And, and frankly, the government stepping in to, to own as a majority shareholder an asset as substantial as this is, is, is a step backwards for uh, general kind of economic reform that, that Taiwan needs to be competitive in the region. I, I think it sends a negative message both to domestic investors but also uh, foreign investors and, and, and for the general economic environment. Right. I mean, how do you see these new stations affecting it? I mean, Donovan, do you think you're obviously in central Taiwan, so whether you come north or go south, these new stations are going to affect the time it takes you to go anywhere? Well, according to, uh, according to the system, they're, they're saying that it won't. Uh, the Miaoli, Yunlin, and Zhanghua stations are basically, they're going to have, basically they're, they're setting up different timed uh, routes. And so according to the according to them, if you're taking if you're taking a current express one from uh, from Taipei to Taichung, it's not going to affect that. Whereas they're going to set aside separate routes, which are going to drop stop at all these little little local stations. Um, but Ross is correct. I mean, the, 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 this is something of a step backward. And right now, looking at this, it, it's 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 something of an embarrassment for the for the government. And frankly, these these little stations opening up are primarily. Uh, political prizes. They're not, they're not sound business decisions. Right, but there's good news for some customers, of course, because, of course, they vowed to cut ticket prices. And although the Ministry of Transport has not set a time frame for such a move, there is speculation that they could drop by about 20%. I mean, do, do, you, do you think... They're just they're, dropping I, them to what they were a few months ago. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, precisely. But my question is, <laughs> that's, that's the, not the, a drop in price. They're just simply reducing, <laughs> reducing it back to what it was for years. You know, it's it's they they jacked up the price and over the period where there was a, a panic over what's going to happen with the company, and so they jacked up the price and to try and uh, as part of the negotiations to try and reach a deal, and now they're bringing the prices back to what it was before. 
I mean, obviously, this company is cash-strapped, so do you think drop, how is dropping the prices going to save it money? Ross? Uh, it, it remains to be seen, but, but this goes back to the issue of government's involvement in, in operating a, a very large and important business. Uh, so it's already dictating the pricing, even though earlier in the segment we, we said that the government is going to be the majority shareholder, but the company will be privately operated. Uh, but apparently the government is going to have a large role in regulating the fares, and, and that's just not a positive situation. And of course, uh, we, we'll have this chaos as people try to figure out what the new fare structure is, not to mention all the money that was wasted in, in, in adjusting the computer systems and printing signs and, and uh, uh, you know, the fare table, et cetera. So uh, none of this is a positive uh, as far, from an operational perspective. And of course, government-run transport networks usually come under heavy criticism from the public, which also doesn't help things. Well, the interesting th- thing with, with, with Taiwan, at least, is we, we do have the Taiwan Railway, the, the operator of the traditional railway system, government-owned, not privatized, uh, unlike uh, railways in, in other countries where they, they've even separated the operator of, of the, the carriages from the, the company that maintains the, the trackage. Uh, you know, such an idea just seems so far far away from, from being achieved here, here in Taiwan. Uh, you know, TRA might get you where you need to go, but I, I don't think we would hold it up as an example of, of efficiency or, or, or uh, smooth and comfortable travel either. Right. And we can only hope that smooth and comfortable travel remains the order of day on the high-speed rail in the coming months ahead. And that was today's Taiwan This Week with me, Gavin Phipps, and on the phone from Tai Jong, ICRT's Central Taiwan correspondent, Donovan Smith. Uh, thanks, Gavin. And in the studio with me, Ross Feingold of the Washington-based DC International Advisory. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to tune in next Friday at the same time for another enthralling episode of ICRT's Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.